It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Just a couple of little things about the book. Basically, you could say that Winnipeg changed uh, Canadian football history with that first great cup and the first from the West. Because after that, everybody started getting on the bandwagon about imports. You see, imports in those days were coming here. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome to Quick Kicks, everyone. And today, my very special guest is Morley Scott, host of the ePod and the voice of the Edmonton Elks. How does that moniker feel? Uh, it's, I'm getting used to it. I keep saying it over and over in my head, Edmonton Elks, Edmonton Elks, because I got to get used to saying that. I've, uh, I've said the old name for 11 years now, and, and before that, as a broadcaster, before that all my life. So uh, I'm, I'm a little anxious to get on the air and say it a couple of times so it becomes second nature, and I don't worry about falling back on old habits, which I have done a few times uh, on the air and try to avoid it. But uh, it's hard to break those old habits, man. It's 70 years in the making, right, that name, and it's uh, it's tough to – Tough to leave it behind. Yes, you're very right. Some people are having a tough time letting the old name go. They did, however, have to move on to a new name. Yep. I thought, though, the way they handled this was great. The promotional video was fantastic. The new logo looks awesome. Yeah, they did a really good job. You know, first, let me state, they made the right move. They had to make the move with the name and, and had to discontinue it and retire it for sure. But the way they handled it, I thought was first class, uh, right through the process of of retiring the old name, moving into the new name and, and kind of going silent for a long time on it while they did the research and they got things in place. And then they came out to the public with uh, a few choices and they allowed people to, to kind of get on the inside a little bit and say, you know, first off, they, they allowed them to give their suggestion and they got thousands of suggestions uh, for names. And then they took those suggestions and some of the ones they already had whittled it down and, and then released the final seven Oddly enough, the one they picked was not in the final seven. Uh, a, a portion of it was because Elk was in the final seven, but Elks wasn't. But um, they managed; uh, they ended up putting the S on it for the final uh, for the final name. And the rollout uh, last week was uh, was done real well. You know, huge tarps on the field over top of the massive logo, and they pulled the logo. Off, they pulled the tarps off, and uh, there the logo was. And and it wasn't really a a media event it was just more of an unveiling they didn't even have a, a media availability afterwards they didn't have a lot of people there uh to do it it was just tv cameras we were there because we were doing it live with uh, myself and dave campbell and uh we got to talk to the president that, but there was nobody at a podium doing anything uh they just uh, they just played a little video and explained everything and, and went from there such is the life in the covid universe indeed let's learn a little bit about you all right. Where did you start in life and how did you get into journalism? Well, I was kind of a nomad growing up because uh, my parents actually were uh, Salvation Army uh, officers, ministers. And so we moved around when I was a kid a lot, uh, a lot of time in Ontario, some time in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and uh, eventually uh, the, the settled in to Edmonton for a long stay. And then uh, I was in grade 11 when they got moved to Regina for a year. And I went to Regina, finished up my uh, high school in Regina, and then uh, pretty much as soon as I finished school, moved back to Edmonton and uh, set up shop here. And I've been here, save for a couple of years in Prince Albert and uh, one year in Vancouver. I've uh, been in Edmonton 
ever since. So I moved around a lot as a kid, moved around a little bit in the radio business like you have to do to get the jobs you want and uh, been settled in Edmonton for a long time now. In terms of the journalism side of things, what motivated you and how did the jobs come along? Well, I always wanted to do this. Uh, I started out wanting to be a newspaper guy more than anything else. Um, a buddy of mine, when I was in Toronto as a kid growing up, a buddy of mine, uh, we always had a competition who could phone the other guy first with the information. Uh, so my pa- if my paper got delivered first, I would phone him and tell him that uh, Brad Park just got traded to the Bruins. And if he got his paper first, he would phone me and tell me. So that's that kind of how that's how I first got into, I guess, quote unquote, reporting. Right. Uh, it was just to, just to my buddy, Doug. Uh, then as I moved along, I, I decided I like the radio aspect of it a little bit more than anything else. And uh, I the first foray into it came in the uh, early 80s at CJSR Radio, which is the um, the campus radio station for the University of Alberta. I did not go to the University of Alberta. I was kind of a stowaway there. Uh, I just went uh, and worked at the radio station. I volunteered for a couple of years. And then uh, when the sports director who was there graduated, uh, the sports director position came open and uh, I applied for it and got it. It was just an honorarium of 200 bucks a month. Uh, so it wasn't a living. I was also working uh, working at Woodward's as well at the same time, working in the bargain store uh, stockroom, um, putting price tags on things. Uh, so I was doing that and uh, I did uh, play-by-play for the, the Golden Bear hockey team, uh, Golden Bear basketball team, did a little bit for the Golden Bear football team. And just kind of ran the the tiny sports department we had, which was uh, manned by volunteers across the board. And uh, then you got to a point where I had enough of, uh, of a demo tape and I started sending it out all across Western Canada. And the first bite I got was uh, St. Paul, Alberta. And I ended up going to St. Paul and worked there at a radio station called CHLW. And I worked there for a couple of years, did uh, the Central Alberta Junior B Hockey League as play-by-play. And then ended up uh, getting a job in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And that was in, I think it was 85 or 86. 86, I think. It was the year after the Raiders had won their uh, Memorial Cup. And uh, I uh, became a part of that uh, community for a couple of years where they live and breathe with the Raiders. Uh, uh, they just love that hockey team and, and uh, got to watch uh, players like, uh, like Dave Manson and Emmanuel Viveros and, and some of the greats from, from that era play. Dan Hodgson had just finished up, so I didn't get to see him. Uh, then my second year there, a young 16-year-old from Michigan named Mike Medano showed up and we got to watch him play for a while. And he turned out to obviously to be a, a Hall of Fame hockey player moving forward. And, at the National Hockey League level. So uh, that was Prince Albert for two years. And then I ended up uh, getting a job in Edmonton. And I wanted to get back to Edmonton because that's uh, where I spent most of my life. And that's where my wife's family was from. And that's where I figured I wanted uh, wanted to live. So I decided uh, to take a job at CFCW Radio. And I thought at that point, my play-by-play days were over because uh, they didn't have any rights. And it was a sports director's job doing morning sports. And a couple of years into that job, they got the Oilers rights. And uh, I ended up uh, doing uh, 16 years as color commentator on radio for uh, the Oilers with Rod Phillips. Also got to do a few play-by-play games on uh, the pay-per-view broadcast that the Oilers produced for a couple of years. Got to do some uh, some color commentary on uh, Sportsnet television for, uh, for several games uh, for a while as well. And uh, then the uh, the rights to the Oilers uh, switched hands, basically got sold before the contract ended up, went to 630 Chegged. And 
I had to uh, apply for my job all over again and got that job and, and did, did the games with Rod on Ched for a few years. And then the rights went in-house and, and the Oilers uh, owned uh, the rights at that point and they were on Ched still and I became an Oilers employee. And then I got the speech everybody gets in the radio business. We're going a different direction. And uh, I got let go by the Oilers. Uh, spent a year off uh, driving my kids to school and going to minor hockey games and going to cheer competitions and cooking dinner every night. And uh, while I was off that year, I ended up doing some freelance games for the Manitoba Moose when they were in the uh, Calder Cup final. I did that series and shortly after that, ended up uh, getting a job with the Vancouver Giants and I went to Vancouver for a year and, and, and did the Giants. And uh, while I was in Vancouver, Brian Hall decided he was going to retire as uh, the play-by-play -play voice of uh, the Edmonton football team. I applied for that job and got it and took over uh, that job in uh, 2010. Uh, it, was a, it was a short turnaround. Uh, the Giants had a great playoff run. They went to the Western Final that year and it went uh, right into, uh, into early May, the first week of May, I believe. And training camp uh, for the Edmonton football team started, uh, I think, the third week of May. And uh, once the Giants got eliminated, I just packed everything up in the car and drove to Edmonton and had I think, two days off and went to work again at Ched, uh, broadcasting, getting ready to broadcast my first year of football. And I've been doing football now since 2010. That's the Coles notes. Kind of boring, but that's how I got from point A to point B. That was quite a fascinating journey. Yeah, it was fun. I, it was great. I, I, I think I had it better than, than people do now in this business because I got to go to the small markets and got to learn everything and got to, to make some lifelong friends in, in, in the small markets like St. Paul and in the medium markets like Prince Albert before I moved up. Now, you know, you can't work at those stations very, they don't have very, very many employees at those stations anymore. It's all network stuff and voice tracking stuff. So it's, uh, it's hard to learn. It's hard to learn the trade now. Like uh, I got to learn it back when I, when I was younger and just starting out in my career. Edmonton had won a great cup in 2005, but now the team was in transition. Ricky Ray was on the verge of being shipped to Toronto in a famous trade. Yeah, the next year. My first year was Ricky Ray's last year in Edmonton, and uh, they had uh, the Grey Cup that year and missed the playoffs. Uh, the GM, Danny Machocha, got fired, I think, five games in. Uh, they were one and four at the time. They had just beaten Winnipeg, got their first win of the season, and fired the GM the next day. Brought in several weeks later, they brought in Eric Tillman as the GM. Uh, he finished out the season, and then in that offseason, uh, he decided he wanted to trade Ricky Ray. Apparently, he was losing a step, and uh, Ray got traded. Uh, Stephen Giles became the starting quarterback of the Double E uh, for the next season, and uh, they made the playoffs, but it was a miserable season. And, and when that season ended, the coach gets fired. Uh, the GM, the new GM, uh, you know, kind of takes over. And Ed Hervey, uh, who had uh, taken over after uh, Tillman got fired, who got fired, I think, just before the playoff game, right in, in 2012, I guess it was, or 2011. I'm getting my dates confused, but uh, yeah, Ed Hervey took over, and uh, he ends up going. They they go three and thirteen, I think it was, or uh, three and fifteen. Uh, something like that in 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 that one season, and uh, that was uh, when the teardown began. And uh, they acquired Mike Riley that, well for that year, and, and Mike Riley came in and just uh, just took control of things for a few years here. And uh, the rest, as we know, leading up to 2015 in the Grey Cup is history. Mike Riley came to Edmonton with Chris Jones as the coach. Yep. What was it like during the Chris Jones era in Edmonton? 
Uh, it was fascinating. Fascinating, I found. Chris Jones is, uh, I really enjoyed being around him on a day-to-day basis and talking to him on a day-to-day basis. Hard to get to know him, hard to to, to get him to open up a little bit, but I've never seen a guy who, uh, who works so hard and does so many things and has his finger on so many situations, you know, whether it be, you know, running his camps during the offseason and keeping track of all the free agents. You know they were bringing guys in, and you'd ask him a question about a guy, and he'd tell you what his four, what his, uh, what his forty time was. He would know everything about him. Said he played here, I know him from here. I had him at a camp there. Every player who came in, he would have some sort of information, some little tidbit on him. Uh, very, very organized and very insightful in the game. Of course, had a great relationship with Bill Parcells, which he talked about a lot and getting advice from him. Uh, it was, it was kind of neat to watch him grow from where he was at the start of his tenure here to where he was at the end when he was, you know, he was the, the big man on campus. And I mean, was able to pretty much write his own ticket to go to Saskatchewan after winning the great cup in, in 2015. And I mean, after it was like two days afterwards, he was in, uh, he was in Regina with the entire coaching staff. So yeah, he was a fascinating individual to be around and to watch every day. Very, very motivational to his players. The players loved him. Players really enjoyed playing for him and uh, tell some great stories about, uh, about him and his time here. So it was, uh, it, was, it was a cool couple of years. Team wins the Grey Cup in 2015. Chris Jones leaves soon after. Then Mike Riley leaves for BC a couple of years later. Has it been a tough go to keep the Stars in Edmonton? Well, I, w- I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, Riley didn't leave Edmonton so much as he went to BC. I mean, uh, he's got a family that lives in Seattle, a couple of small kids, a couple of girls, uh, very young. And instead of being... Uh, an hour and a half to two hour plane ride. He was uh, an hour and a half uh, drive instead. And, and you could go on, if you get out of practice and get your work done early on a Wednesday, you could drive to Seattle, spend the night with the family and come back the next morning, right? You couldn't do that uh, in, in when you're playing in Edmonton. So uh, I, I don't blame Mike Riley at all. I mean, he gave his all to this franchise here. Uh, for him, I'm kind of sad he left because he could have been one of, if not the greatest quarterback of all time in his franchise, uh, the, the way his numbers were trending. And there's been some pretty good quarterbacks with this team for sure. Uh, Mike's a great guy. I got a lot of respect for him. And, 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 I, and I know the decision he made was, was, uh, was a football decision, but it was also a big family decision as well. And that's what's most important in life is your family. So I get, uh, I get no complaints about that. Uh, other than that, I think they've been able to, to hang on to their stars for, for most of the time. And, you know, they, they were able to get stars too. I mean, it didn't take them long to replace Mike Riley. They went out and got a replacement in Trevor Harris right away. Trevor Harris is quite the different person than Mike Riley was. He is. He's not as brash. Um, he's, uh, he's not as... He's not as open to the media sometimes, uh, but man, he's good on the field. He's, he's accurate. He's, he's wants to be a leader. He's, you know, a couple of times since he's been here. And I mean, he's only played one season, but he's already taken uh, a couple of haircuts on his contract so that uh, the team could go out and, and, and sign some players and keep everything under the salary cap. He's a very team oriented guy. And, and I'm not saying that's not Mike Riley's style. He's, he's exactly the same, but uh, Trevor Harris has, has really become a part of the community and a part of the team since he came here. And, it's amazing how many guys over he's only played one season here, but he's been here for three free agency periods now uh, from uh, 19, uh, 20 and now 21. I'm just amazed at how many times I talk to a free agent player on the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball. And I'll say to him, well, what, you know, what's the reason? Why'd you come to Edmonton? And the, and the guy would say, well, Trevor called me. I don't know, Trevor. He called me said he liked the way I played and he always wanted to, to play with me. I know that was the case with R- Ricky Collins Jr. Uh, it was the case with uh, 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 Devaris. 
uh, and uh, some other guys, even defenders like uh, Josh Johnson, I know, told me that that was uh, when he got a phone call from Trevor Harris. That was what put it over the edge that uh, that he was going to sign with Edmonton back in 2019. So uh, he's very, very involved in things. Uh, he's the guy who reached out to James Wilder Jr. before anything else. He he knew him a little bit from from Toronto and and said, I always admired him playing. I know uh, he said he retired, but I just gave a phone call to see if he meant it. And I ended up uh, piquing his interest and he wanted to come back. So then I, I phoned Brock Sunderland and told him that was the situation and Sunderland went after him and signed him. So he's been, uh, he's been very busy in the recruiting department for the Edmonton football team. He's not on the recruiting staff. He doesn't get a cut of the payroll there, does he? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it works that way. <laughs> I think that still has to go under the salary cap. So I don't think it works that way. <laughs> CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Scott Milanovic, that's a bit of an enigma for this franchise. All right, here's a question for you. Go. Is Scott Milanovic the only winless coach in Edmonton history or the only undefeated coach in Edmonton history? Undefeated? There you go. Take the bright side. See both, I guess. Right. Yeah. That was an interesting, that was an interesting year. I, I got, we did some uh, coaches show with Scott did about probably about 15 or so coaches show over, uh, over the fall last year. And then we ended just before Christmas in 2020. I really got to know him. Well, really enjoyed talking to him. Good storyteller, but I mean, he just wanted to coach football. Right. And he, at the point he left, he had an offer from the NFL to go. And he didn't, at that point, nobody knew what the situation for the CFL was going to be going forward. And I don't blame him at all for, for taking that, that job with, uh, with Indianapolis and, and moving on. It's a tough break for Edmonton because it came kind of after the coaches all got hired around the league and, and, it, it kind of put them in a tough spot, but luckily for them, the guy they wanted to hire when they hired Scott Milanovic was Jamie Elizondo, but the XFL wouldn't let out of his contract. So XFL is no more. And Jamie Elizondo was free. So they went back to their first choice and were able to get him. So it, in the end, it worked out pretty well. After Chris Jones left Saskatchewan, Elizondo yeah. was denied an opportunity to interview for that job by Ottawa. Yeah, he was he was beginning to think that uh, it just wasn't going to be in the cards for him to be a head football coach because twice he wanted to get interviewed or, and teams wanted to interview him, but his current employer wouldn't allow him. And that's why he left Ottawa, uh, which I, I always felt bad for him because of, you remember the press release Ottawa sent out? Uh, he left, they wouldn't allow him to interview and, and then he left to go to the XFL. And I think that the headline on the news release was Elizondo quits on red blocks, right? Or something along those lines. So, but he stayed patient. He stayed true to himself and ended up uh, getting the opportunity. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in action in 2021. What kind of head coach do you think Elizondo's going to be? I know he's on the offensive side of the ball, but what does he bring to the table? Again, he's like most football coaches, very organized, uh, very determined to, to do the, put the work in. He's got a pretty good staff that he's, that he's put together. I, I think his track record is a pretty good one when you look at offensively. I mean, the the numbers that that uh, Ottawa Red Black team put up with him as their offensive coordinator uh, in, uh, what was that, 17 and 18? Uh, I mean, that was the year they had the, didn't in the, it wasn't all the year they had the five 1,000-yard uh, receivers. Uh, Trevor Harris put up the great numbers. Uh, they're, they're just a really good offensive team. He runs a good system, similar to the one that Scott Milanovic ran, similar to the one that Chris uh, Jones likes to run. So uh, I don't think we'll see a big change per se in offense. 
uh, with him, but uh, he's kind of the, uh, the guy who's refining it a little bit. And uh, man, he's going to have some weapons this year on the Edmonton Elks to, to really do something with. So uh, yeah, he's, he's, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with this team moving forward. Uh, he's got a pretty experienced defensive coordinator in, in Newell Thorpe as well, who could be a head coach in this league also. So uh, I, I think they're in pretty good hands coaching wise. June the 14th, the CFL is supposed to decide whether or not it's going to play on August the 5th. Will the CFL take the plunge? Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, I can't see why they couldn't operate moving forward. The only reason they won't operate is because they don't want to lose money uh, and, and and they're they're not willing to take the chance to lose money. But I mean, look around you, look what the NHL's done, look what the uh, the NFL's done, the NBA's done. I mean, they've gone through two seasons now with it. Uh, I mean, for goodness sakes, the Alberta Junior Hockey League and the Western Hockey League and, and the Canadian League Basketball League all ran seasons through the pandemic. So the CFL should be able to step up and produce a season at the tail end of this thing. I mean, I'm talking from Alberta where we're three weeks away from being wide open with no restrictions if everything goes the way it's going right now. So I I think August 5th looks pretty good. If it doesn't, there's some serious questions that have to be asked around the league. Uh, I know we keep hearing stories about there are some teams that don't want to play this year. And I mean, if you're a CFL owner and you don't want to play, why are you a CFL owner is, is my question. So that has to get addressed, but uh, I'll leave that for down the road if they don't play in 2021, because uh, I, I can't, they can't go away for another year unless the XFL is going to be some big sugar daddy and, and, and just throw all, all sorts of money at them. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they have to play. They have to get back in front of their fans. They're at a point right now going into August 5th where fans are clamoring to see CFL football. If they get denied that for another year, they'll walk away from the game, I believe, in the most part. And, and I think the CFL will be, have to start from absolute scratch moving forward. I don't know. Can they move forward even after that? So I believe I believe firmly they have to get on the field this year. They have to get on as quickly as possible. I know the NHL might lose more money than the CFL would in this situation. How do they survive? TV contracts, right? Um, marketing, um, merchandise. They're still selling jerseys, right? They're still they're still getting eyeballs watching the game on TV. Uh, I don't think the CFL has the lucrative TV contract that the NHL has obviously, or the NFL. I mean, the NFL, for goodness sakes, they don't have to sell a ticket. They make money on their TV deal before they even sell a ticket, a t-shirt or a hot dog, right? I mean, they're already making money. Everything after that is gravy. So they're probably of all the major sports, they're probably had it the easiest to move forward because with their TV deal, they're guaranteed to make money. Lots of expenses go into it. And again, I'll say this, it's pretty easy to talk about other people's money and, and say, you know, they're not prepared to take the loss. If it was me, maybe I wouldn't do it either. But I mean, it's got to be at some point, the cost of doing business to keep your brand alive, to keep your, to keep your, your fans happy and, and move forward in, you know, and try to regain where you were when you left off in 2019. And again, it's easy when it's other people's money to criticize, but that's the position I think we're in right now. You had mentioned the XFL and we believe that there are still discussions going on between the CFL and the XFL. Where do you think things are going to wind up with that entity? Uh, I don't know, man. That's, that's, uh, I, I think it's going to end up with some sort of an agreement. I don't know if they can do a full, uh, a full merger and have their schedules match up and play each other. For one, I don't think the XFL would want to play 18 games. I don't think the CFL would want to go under 18 games. Uh, I don't think the CFL can, can play in, 
March uh, and April. Uh, I don't think the XFL can play in September and October because of the NFL and of course the CFL is because of the weather. So I, I can see though them striking some sort of uh, an agreement to work together business-wise and TV-wise and, and get TV contracts that encompass the entire year. The first part is the XFL in, in, in March, February, I guess, is when they started last time around. And, and then it kind of incorporates the CFL uh, starting in, in May and June. And then the XFL fades out and the CFL becomes the, the, the prime viewership in uh, uh, September, October and November, or maybe September and October if they move the schedule up a little bit. So I, I, I don't know. I, and I hope it all comes down to this is a merger and not a takeover. Because if it's takeover, we're all in trouble because the XFL will just bully their way to all their all their rules and everything they want. And I don't think that will that will sit well with uh, the Canadian Football League and their fans. Perhaps influencing those discussions is the announced return of the USFL in 2022. Essentially filling the void left open for spring football by the XFL. How is that going to impact these negotiations? Yeah, that's, you know, I'll still believe the USFL is on the field when I see it. I mean, they got a long way to go. I, I do like the fact that the XFL has taken their time and they're not hurrying things just to fill the void, just to get back. And uh, they haven't said it, but it's pretty widely believed that they'll, they won't uh, debut again. 3.0 won't happen until uh, 2023. You know, they're going to do it right, obviously. I mean, I kind of look at it like the, the Ottawa Red Black situation. They took a couple of years to make sure they had everything right before they hit the field. They probably could have hit the field a year earlier, but decided to make sure everything was right and good for them. They had a great start to their franchise history with the way they played in, in the first uh, you know five years. Yeah, it's good that they're taking their time. I, I think the USFL, on the other hand, is probably hurrying things to fill the void and that might cost them down the road. And again, it's all going to depend on TV money and TV ratings. There is no proof that I have seen that Americans like to watch spring football whether that be uh, uh, arena football, the USFL, uh, the XFL, or whatever other leagues they have had uh, at that time frame. No one can compete with the NFL. That's pretty obvious. No one can compete with NCAA football in the States. That's pretty obvious. I think fans just don't want to watch football in the spring. I think they'd rather watch baseball. I don't know. There's just been no success, no sustained success for any of those leagues that have come up in the spring. And goodness knows we've seen enough of them over the years. Fox Sports is a minority owner in the revised USFL. Wasn't CBS a minority owner in, in the XFL? And I know it would have been interesting to see how they how they continued on without the pandemic, right? They, they got shut down by the pandemic, but the ratings were dropping week by week by week, as I recall. So uh, it's interesting. It, it's, it's the ratings are going to drive everything. Ratings are going to drive everything for that sport because you won't get the money from TV if the ratings aren't there. And so far, it's, it's been proven that, yeah, I'll watch it, but I won't watch it every week and I won't get invested in it. I don't know how much of a chance you've had to talk to Edmonton football players in the city right now, but do you have a take on their mood? Are they excited, hopeful, frustrated? Yeah, I've I think they're hopeful. I think they're pretty, I think they're all pretty excited. I think every player on the league is pretty excited. Uh, I mean, 
they want to play. I mean, they've been away from the game for a year and they want to play. I, I think that's the case with every, every team in every city. I think that's the situation. So there's a definite amount of excitement. I think in Edmonton, there's maybe more excitement because of the name change, name change announced last week. And, and I think that really, I really noticed, especially the players I follow on Twitter, uh, they seem to really get excited. They embrace the name and they embrace the fact that, hey, this is this is the new reality and we're close to returning. I think there's a lot of excitement uh, amongst the players that I've talked to and that I've seen on Twitter talking about getting back on the field. For any way to prognosticate in any way, shape or form, who's going to finish first, second, third, east or west? I don't think realistically you can i mean you don't know how players are going to react one of the things i'm waiting to see how those 33 34 35 year old players come back there's going to be some who dedicated themselves to to resting their body and working out and i'm guessing there's some who've been eating cheesies right and and i, and I think that they won't exactly be in the best shape coming to training camp uh, we saw that during the lockout years in the NHL. There was always players who came back and just weren't in enough shape. So if that's a key player on a team, that could really cost you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as for the changes, we don't really know. I mean, how can you predict how things are going to go, especially in the East, because you don't know how Nick Arbuckle is going to be as a starting quarterback. Where he's Toronto, he ended up in Toronto, right? So after spinning his wheels, you know, and, and you, how's Matt, uh, Matt Nichols going to be? after a year off and and how are all the other older quarterbacks going to be after a year off? Will they still have the same desire, the same zip on the ball? Will they still be able to take a hit? There's so many variables going into this season. And, and I think that's, what's going to make it exciting. And that's, what's going to make it fun to watch um, the D linemen, those older D linemen uh, guys out there like Charleston Hughes and, and Odell Willis. I mean, Toronto put their egg, put all those eggs in the same basket. If those two guys can't find what they had two years ago, and some would say they're maybe they're both already losing a step. If they can't find that, then maybe they're in trouble, right? So who knows? But if but if they come back rested and, and re reinvigorated and ready to go, maybe they'll have great seasons and, and the Argos will be a better team. One might expect offenses to be ahead of defenses because most of the teams have veteran quarterbacks, except for Toronto. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would think that would be the case. But you got new, you know, a new quarterback in Ottawa learning a new system, and the, and the system's learning a new quarterback. Uh, same thing going on in Toronto. Uh, how's it going to play out in Hamilton? I mean, with Mazzoli healthy, how's that going to work? It, Vernon Adams had a good year last year, but don't forget, or 2019. Don't forget, at the start of 2019, he wasn't even the starter. He was the backup, right? You know, how is he going to be? Uh, Nick Arbuckle. He was great for, you know, half a season in Calgary. He had a pretty good team around him, though. <laughs> He's not going to have that kind of team around him in Toronto. Can, can BC rebound? Uh, and Cody Fajardo, I mean, he did it for one season. Can he do it for two? You, you got to be the guy who has good seasons every year, not just the guy who had a good season. Uh, so there's some pressure on him in Saskatchewan. Um, BC, Toronto, and Calgary have top three quarterbacks in the league, I think, moving forward with experience and and I think that they'll all be okay uh, but the rest of the league there's some there's there's good quarterbacks but there's some question marks because of the movement what are your emotions going to be when you finally get into the broadcast booth and you look down and you see players on the field I thought about that it's 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 going to be cool I think because it's been so long I mean uh, the last time we were in a booth was in Hamilton for the Eastern Final uh, where the double E got shellacked in that game to end their season in 2019. Uh, the week before in Montreal, you know, when Harris put on that clinic in the game against the Alouettes in the Eastern semifinal, um, I watched the game from the, from the press box in Calgary and, and, you know, then you haven't seen anything 
I've even I've taped a couple of games when TSN put on some you know some older games and but they're sitting on my PVR I haven't even looked at them like you know the 2015 especially I got the the Western Final here against Calgary and, and the Grey Cup game uh, but I haven't even watched them I'll, I'll maybe once the season comes back I'll maybe watch them just to kind of get refreshed a little bit on watching football but yeah I've, I've thought about that it's it's going to be pretty cool uh, last week we were at the stadium for the reveal and doing a live broadcast and that really kind of got my juices flowing for that part of it because it's it's been a long time it's been a long time and so much has changed I mean since since Edmonton last played they're on their third coach <laughs> since then uh they're on their second name they're uh, you know the the president had just joined the team uh, Labor Day basically of 2019 and so he's basically pretty new so yeah there's there's a lot of changes a lot of players I mean we've gone through two free agency cycles and some players who signed with the team for 2020 never played a game for him and have gone off and, and and, and sign somewhere else now. So there's been a lot of changes in Edmonton, especially because of the, the coaching situation, but every team has got the player movement, but uh, I mean, Edmonton's got, a, has had a lot of it plus all the other stuff added onto it. So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting in the booth. And I, I think I, I'm usually a, an early guy at the stadium. I, I usually like to get to the stadium a couple, three hours before game time. Uh, but I'll probably be a little earlier than that, I think, for the first for the first game back, whenever that comes, hopefully that uh, first week of August. Where can people find or follow you? I hope you can't find me, but you can follow me <laughs> at uh, Morley underscore Scott on Twitter, uh, Morley underscore Scott on uh, Instagram as well. Uh, in, unless we've had a meal together, I probably won't accept your friend uh, request on Facebook. I'm on 630 Ched every morning uh, doing morning sports and taking part in 630 Ched mornings. And um, looking forward to, to peeling the days off the calendar until August. Morley, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, had a good time. It's good to talk with you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.